You guys know the second most published and widely read book in the history of Christianity, right? Anyone know what it is? Of course, the first is the Bible, right? Who knows what the second? Pilgrim's Progress, that's right. Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, John Bunyan uh, wrote that in the late 17th century. It's a powerful allegory about the Christian life. The complete title is The Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which Is to Come. Obviously, it's... Yeah, I like it better, the short title, just Pilgrim's Progress. The key words in the title, obviously, Pilgrim and Progress. What do they mean? What does it mean to be a pilgrim? Who knows? What does it mean? Exactly. Simply a traveler. Simply someone who is uh, on a journey. Uh, a sojourner. Someone who is uh, on a quest to another place. What is, of course, you know what the word progress means. Simply to advance, to proceed, to go on, to go forward. Uh, Greg, would you shut the door, please? To go forward. We know what God calls His people in Hebrews 11.13. Remember, we are strangers and aliens and exiles. There are several translations here. Uh, the, the New King James actually says the word pilgrim. We are pilgrims on the planet. Uh, the literal Greek is we are sojourners here. Um, some of the paraphrases use words like transients and nomads. If we're a Christian and we read our Bibles, we understand that we are pilgrims progressing. And that's what Paul is talking to us about tonight. If we've read our Bibles very much at all, we understand we, we are not here to stay. We are here to go. We are not here to stay. We are here to go. We are in the world but we are not of the world. You guys, are, you guys are really doing well tonight. Um, so you remember the, the main character's name, right? What was the main character's name in Pilgrim's Progress? Christian, Christian of course. And you remember how the story began, right? Christian is standing there. He just read some Scripture. And uh, he was in great distress. He ran into a man named evangelist, and evangelist could see that he was greatly distressed, and he said, young man, what's wrong? He says, well, I've been reading in this book that this, the, the weight that I'm carrying will, will sink me into the grave and down into hell. And evangelist says, well, if that is your condition, why do you stand here and tremble? And Christian says, well, I don't know what to do. And the evangelist says, you see that narrow gate across the field? And Christian said, yes. He says, run to the narrow gate. Anybody remember what Christian does? <laughs> he takes off running, right? He takes off running. Do you remember what happens when he takes off running uh, toward the narrow gate? You know, his pilgrimage has, be has begun, right? But do you remember what happened? Do you remember what happened, uh, what his family and friends did? His family and friends came out to him and they yelled to him. They said, Christian, stop. Come back with us. You know, essentially, don't be radical. Don't be a radical Christian. Man, what's wrong with you? You know, just religion is much safer, right? Religion is much more palatable. Don't go running off. And they called to him. They said, Christian, come back, come back. You remember what he did? I love this part. 
He stuck his fingers in his ears. And he kept running. He said, life, life, eternal life. And he was off. He was one of those, yeah, for real pilgrims. For real strangers and exiles upon the earth. We are pilgrims progressing. Beloved, if we're not progressing, we're probably not pilgrims in the Christian biblical sense. We are to be pilgrims progressing. Yes, even if we have to put our fingers in our ears, we are to be pilgrims progressing. You remember the therefore in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I love the therefore. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews 11, God clearly defines what biblical faith is, that He clearly illustrates what biblical faith is. He gives us a small avalanche of illustrations. And so we won't, you know, so we won't misunderstand His point. We won't uh, try to dumb down what faith really is. So we'll know what it is. It's Hebrews 11. That's God's definition of faith. You have real men and real women with real faith in a real God making a real difference in the real world. That's Hebrews chapter 11. Then you get to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and God says, therefore, therefore what? Does anybody remember? <laughs> God says, that's how I want you to live, right? He says, hey, I've given you all these examples in Hebrews 11. Therefore, I want you to live like this. This is real faith. Live this way. Yeah, that's. Uh, I love the therefore in chapter 12, verse 1. Actually, one time I was preaching through Hebrews 11. I was going to stop at Hebrews 11, but I couldn't stop at Hebrews 11. When I saw the therefore in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, I had to keep preaching for a few more verses. God says, you see how those men and women lived? That's how I want you to live. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, God says, Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race set before us, fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. You're to be a pilgrim progressing, beloved. A pilgrim progressing. God says run. God says run. We are to be a people running toward the Lord. Biblical Christianity is, as I've said to you many times, it's never academic, it's never passive, it's never lackadaisical, it's never apathetic, and it's never lukewarm. We understand this. We understand how the Lord Jesus feels about lukewarm Christianity. It's always about a pilgrim progressing. Always. It's never not about that. It's always about God's people moving on with Christ. Amen? It's always about that. Going deeper in faith. Going, uh, being more radical in our obedience. It's always about that. If we read our Bibles, we understand that. Purposely, proactively, perpetually progressing. Going on in our sanctification. Going deeper with the Lord. Real Christians don't sit down. We always move forward with Christ. And this is what Paul is talking to us about tonight in our text, as he concludes more or less what has been his personal testimony in Philippians chapter 3, as he has jettisoned his religion, his dead religion, remember what he called it? He said, it's dung, it's rubbish, it's refuse. 
It's no good to me in light of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So he's jettisoned his religion. And now he's on uh, the pilgrimage. He's going with Jesus. We've seen the last couple of weeks that God uh, has unequivocally condemned religion in general and counterfeit Christianity in particular. As we began chapter 3 of Philippians, God has warned us to beware of what? Anyone remember? To beware of anyone who would amend or edit or change or add to or subtract from the biblical gospel. Remember what God calls these people who do these kinds of things. Dogs Dogs and evil workers. You know, you just don't hear that from the pulpit very much, but hey, I'm just preaching God's Word, right? (laughs) You know, you say it's harsh, Jim. I know it's harsh. This is how God feels about it when people adulterate His Gospel. It's His Gospel. You know, it's like we talked about in Colossians. All the way through Colossians, that between the lines I could see. You know, Paul saying, you've got to be kidding me. You're going to add something to Jesus Christ? You think you can add something to the Creator God? That's who He is. Yeah. God doesn't like it when men adulterate the Scripture. He says, beware of such dogs and evil workers. And Paul went on to say, put no confidence in the flesh. And that's what we talked about last week. Paul says, man, if anyone had any reason to put confidence in the flesh, it was me. I was the perfect Jew. I was the perfect Jew. I was an awesome Jew. (laughs) You know, we saw the litany last week. But he says, I don't put my confidence in that anymore. I have met Christ Jesus. I put all my confidence in Him. My confidence is in a sovereign, the sovereign grace of a sovereign God. I don't trust in religion anymore. I don't trust in my church membership. I don't trust in my sacraments or, or in my baptism or a prayer that was prayed correctly. I don't trust in any of that. I have met Christ Jesus. And I am in relationship with Him. This is what we talked a lot about the last couple of weeks. This is more or less Paul's personal Testimony. Everything changed for him face down on the road to Damascus. Everything changed. To live as Christ. What? To die as gain. That's, that's supposed to be your testimony, Christian. Really. Boil it all down. That's who you are. That's your job description as, as a Christian. To live as Christ. To die is gain. To live is to magnify Christ. To die is to be with Christ. As we've been saying, it's always a win-win proposition. So Paul's confession is like that of of all born-again Christians. Knowing Christ is infinitely better than the next best thing. Amen? Maybe not? Amen? Knowing Christ is infinitely better than the next best thing. The confession of a born-again believer. And Paul, you've got to love this about Paul. Paul gave himself wholly and completely to this pursuit of God. (laughs) He would not let anything get in his way. He would not let anything stand in his way. He was a pilgrim progressing. And in our focal verses tonight, Philippians 3, 12-16, Paul is giving expression to that reality. He's just like you and he's just like me. He's simply a sinner who's been saved by grace and he's now a pilgrim And he's going with Christ. 
That's it. That's, that's about as simple as, as we could make it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul owns for himself what you and I already know about ourselves. What is it that you know as a Christian about yourself? Well, I'll tell you what I know about myself. I haven't arrived yet. How about you? Have you arrived at that place where you really need to be with Christ? Paul knows it about himself. Paul's been a Christian for 30 years at this point. Don't you love the transparency? Paul says, I know this about myself. I have not yet obtained, nor have I already become, nor have I become perfect. It's you know one of the prominent fallacies that permeates much of the much of the modern church, and that is making a profession of faith in Christ is somehow the goal. It's somehow an end, beloved. If we understand anything about the Bible, we understand that that is not the end. That is what. That is simply. That is simply the beginning. It's not the finish when we make that profession of faith in Christ. It's not the, the finish. It's the start. It's not the conclusion. It's the commencement of the pilgrimage to the Lord and to heaven. It's a sad reality that, that in much of the modern church, someone makes a profession of faith, they pray a par- prayer, and an ordinance is performed, and people congratulate them like they have accomplished something, and it's all over. And you, you, know, you just pretty much slide back into your life as it was before. I've seen this many times. I've been doing this for 25 or so years. I see it many times. Beloved, it ought not be that way. It's not real Christianity if, that's, if it's that way. We are pilgrims progressing. That's what Paul is saying about himself. Man, he said, I haven't laid hold of it. But I, what? Press on. I press on. I press on. That I may go deeper with Christ Jesus. That I may go deeper. Yeah, I don't have to tell you how wrong it is to check your religious box and put it to the side. I don't really have to tell you that, do I? Oh, this is much of what this is really what we see in much of what is called Christendom today. Jesus is not some, as I told you last week, he's not some religious icon. He's not some religious end. Here's what Jesus is for the true believer: He is an everlasting beginning. Amen. He is the everlasting beginning. We are pilgrims progressing forever. I've told you this many, many times, but it, it's, it, it always, it's a breathtaking proposition to me. After a billion eternities, we will still only know that much about Him. There will still be an infinite amount left to, to discover and enjoy and to be in awe of. This is who Jesus Christ is. After a billion eternities, you will have only just begun to learn about Him and to be in awe of Him and, and to discover His genius and His fullness and His glory and His majesty and His holiness. Yeah, after a billion eternities, that much is what you'll know compared to what is left to know. Jesus Christ is an everlasting beginning. I pray you know Him like that. In verse 12, Paul says, No, man, I haven't arrived yet. I'm just a pilgrim. I'm, I'm, I'm just a pilgrim progressing is what Paul, is what he says here. 
He says, man, I'm just a pilgrim progressing. It's just the beginning. I met Christ. It's just the beginning. You know, I, I'm constantly amazed at Christians I meet and, and they're, they just they don't really seem to be so jazzed about Christ. I don't understand this. How can we not be jazzed about meeting God and coming into relationship with God and being held close to Him and receiving the inheritance He's prepared for us? Beloved, I know we have hard days. And I know sometimes life is difficult and sometimes life is just mundane. I know that. But I tell you all the time, don't listen to yourself. Preach to yourself. When it's hard, don't listen to yourself. When you're depressed, don't listen to yourself. When you're discouraged, don't listen to yourself. Open up the Word of God and preach to yourself. Yeah, we need to be jazzed about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, look, he says, man, I press on. I've not yet attained it, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was lay, laid hold of. The hard-pressed man presses on. Now, what am I saying? Why is Paul hard-pressed? We've talked a lot about this in the last couple of weeks. Why is Paul hard-pressed? Anyone remember? Okay, he's in prison, but what does he... Remember, he specifically says, I'm hard-pressed. What is he hard-pressed about? To stay here and be used of Christ, to sow good seed, to, to edify the body, to, to share the Gospel with the lost. He said... I'm hard-pressed between that and the other reality to go and be with Jesus, right? He, he, don't you love that? He's hard-pressed. And I keep saying to you, you're to be hard-pressed. <laughs> you're supposed to be hard-pressed. You know, as Paul says, it's very much better, very much better to go and be with Christ. Beloved, is that how you feel? It's very much better to go. But Paul says, I'm hard-pressed, man. He says, he says, there's so much work to do. There's so much work to do. So the hard-pressed man... He's the man who presses on, right? The hard-pressed man is the man who presses on. I love that. I love that. I just, uh, yeah, I thought of that. I was sitting there the other day, and, and, and yeah, I thought it was cool, but you may not like it so much. But The hard-pressed man will always press on. I love it. Paul says that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Remember what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the relentless call of God to what? Seek Him. He, he, he says this to the lost and He says this to the found. Seek Me. And when you seek Me with all your heart, you will find Me. Remember what we talked about? The seeking God seeks His seeking people to give them what He originally designed them to seek. What has God originally designed all men to seek? Himself. And in the Gospel, He's coming to redeem men that they indeed may seek Him. In short, Paul is seeking what God has sought him for. To be in relationship with the living God. But it runs deeper, doesn't it? It runs a little deeper than that. Uh, than merely simply being in relationship. It made me think of Romans 8.29. I'll read it to you. Romans 8.29. Remember what God says, for whom He predestined, pardon me, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are simply called into relationship. Did you hear what He said? We're called into what? Conformity. That's what all this is about. 
This is why Paul presses on to be more conformed into the image of Christ Jesus. He's basically saying, man, I want to be as much like Christ as I can be. I want to be as much like Christ. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm jazzed about this conformity thing. I want it, is what Paul is saying. I want that. I want to be more like Christ. Every single day, I want to be more like Christ. I want to be conformed into His image. That's what Paul's talking about here. And he understands it's just the beginning. Meeting Christ is simply the beginning. It's simply the beginning of a breathtaking adventure with the living God. How many of you can confess to this? While I'm definitely not what I was, I'm not yet what I should be, I'm not yet what I can be, I'm not yet what I will be. Amen? God says in Philippians chapter 1, I will complete the good work I've begun in you. I will complete the good work. And Paul says, man, I want that. He's saying, Lord, mold me, change me, remake me, conform me. It's the heartbeat of every born again believer. And Paul says, I joyfully, proactively, purposely seek this. I press on, he says. The hard-pressed man presses on. He gives himself over to the potter's hands. I always love the image of the potter. You know, God's hands are always on His people, right? His hands are always on His people. And Paul says, man, I'm soft clay in the potter's hands. Let me ask you, beloved. Are you soft clay in the potter's hands? Are you soft clay in your Father's hands? Are you allowing Him to remake you and to mold you and to change you and to bring you into conformity with His Son? This is the stated purpose of God. Beloved, are you soft clay in the potter's hands? Verse 13, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies behind. Ahead, You know, Paul here, he, he refutes the, the false teaching that Christians will become perfect. You know, there's some false teaching out there. Some of you may have bumped into it. It's not as prevalent as it once was. Uh, but there's false teaching out there that the Christian will experience in the temporal, uh, his temporal life, he will experience total or complete sanctification. He, in fact, will become sinless. Beloved, this is a false teaching. It's not taught in the Bible that Christians will become Sinless. It's simply not taught in the Bible. It is a false teaching. I just want to make that point. Paul says, man, I've been a Christian for 30 years and I'm, I'm not there and I know it. Hey, I've been a Christian for 26 years. I'm not there and I know it. How about you? I know it! You know, and it doesn't, it's not a depressing thing. It's just another step in the adventure, Right? To go forward with Christ. To go deeper with Christ. Yeah, it's an exciting proposition to me. An exciting proposition. Peter exhorted us in 2 Peter 3.18 to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To, to desire this kind of growth in Christ, it's a telling thing. It really is the core desire of every true believer, right? It's in our DNA. This is what we want. 
It's our, our, our principal motivation in life to go deeper with Christ. It's in our DNA. It's in our spiritual DNA. Let me, let me just challenge you, beloved. If you've reached a place where you're content in your spiritual condition, you are in a very dangerous spiritual place. No f- true follower of Jesus Christ is ever to become content in his spiritual condition. Paul's, Paul is telling us what it's about. We are to what? Press on. You are to be a pilgrim progressing. Right? Just, just remember that. If you don't remember anything else tonight, remember you're supposed to be a pilgrim progressing. So be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Are you progressing with Christ? Is your relationship with Him deeper than it was last year? Or two years ago? How about last month? <laughs> Are you going forward? Are you progressing? Are you a pilgrim? Are you a pilgrim progressing? The call of Christ is clear. He says, sit down with me. Make yourself comfortable. Sit back in that spiritual recliner. Is that what Jesus says? What does He say? He says what? Follow me. And the implication is we're going somewhere, right? We're going somewhere. We don't sit in a circle and and navel gaze and sing kumbaya, right? That's not what Christians do. Christians go with Jesus. That's what Christians do. We go with Christ. Whatever that looks like. And it's going to look a little bit different in each life. We all have different calls. I happen to be a preacher. Whatever your gift is, whatever God's purpose for you in the body of Christ, He means for you to do it. It's Hebrews 11. You see, these, you see how these people loved me? You see how they gave their lives to me? You see how they exercised faith? Hebrews 11, Hebrews chapter 12, God says, that's what I expect you to do too. Do you really believe I'm God enough to follow? Do you believe I'm God enough to believe? Do you, do you believe that? This is really the call of, of biblical, biblical faith. Jesus doesn't call us to come and sit down. Jesus says, follow me. And I promise you, if you go with Christ, I've told you this many times, you go with Christ, it will be an adventure for you. It will be an adventure for you. It will be an adventure for you. You remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. He uses the same metaphor as the writer of Hebrews. Paul likens himself to an elite athlete. He says, I buffet my body. That's not buffet. That's buffet. I buffet my body. I exercise control in all things. I run with a purpose. What is Paul's purpose? To win. He runs to win. Let me ask you, beloved, are you running your Christianity in such a way that you that to, to win? I mean, are you exerting yourself? Are you reaching forward? As Paul talks about in our text tonight. He says, I run to win. I'm not, I'm not on a stroll. I'm not meandering. I run to win. It's like God says, live like you mean it. Amen? Live like you mean it. Do you, beloved, do you, are you living like you mean it? I tell you all the time, you're vapor upon the earth. I tell you all the time. You have just moments compared to eternity. You have moments, literally moments compared to... Eternity. You know, we talk about that Olympic runner a lot. 
It's no accident that he's ascending the metal platform and receiving the gold medal. That's what his whole life has been about. And what do we say in here a lot? What do we said in here a lot? We need to be not we don't point at the gold medal stand and in the Olympics. What do we point at? Anyone remember? I haven't said it in a while. The Bema seat. We point at the Bema seat. What happens at the Bema seat? We will give an accounting. We will look Jesus in the eyes. And we will give an accounting. That's what we point at. That's what our life is about. That's the reality that we build our life around. Giving an account to our beautiful God about how we've used our gifts and abilities and talents and skills for His glory and His honor to fulfill His commission. Right? That's what the true Christian points at. We point at that moment when we will be standing in His glory looking into His eyes. We point at that moment. Look what Paul says in verse 13. He says, man, I forget what's behind and I reach forward to what's ahead. Now we've got two things we can, that can stumble us in the past. What are they? I bet you, if I gave you a few minutes, you could think of it. There are two things that will stumble us from the past. One, of course, is our sin, right? You know, I've met people that are so preoccupied with what, what this awful sin they did. And I just have to, I have to exhort them and encourage them. Jesus has removed it from you as far as the east is from the west. We don't worry about... Jesus has taken care of the guilt. Okay? Jesus has done that. What's the other thing that can trip us up from the past? Our, our victories or our achievements, our accomplishments, right? Because, you know, sometimes we can get content in our own accomplishments. And what happens then? We're not really giving maximum effort anymore. We're sitting down and remembering the good old days when I did X, Y, Z. Um, so Paul's talking about, he says, man, I've, I've forgotten my sin. I've forgotten my great achievements. Today I run. Today I run to win. Today I am a pilgrim progressing. Today that's what I do if you're content with what you did yesterday, you're probably already sitting down spiritually. So it is a stumbling block, beloved. It is a stumbling block. It's the Olympic sprinter. He has one thing on his mind. Is it what's to the left? Oops. What's to the left or to the right? What's on his mind? Well, he's got a... He's got a He's got to look at the finish line, right? If he's looking to the left, he's looking to the right, or if he looks behind, what's going to happen? He is not going to win. He probably is going to fall down. He's probably going to go out of his lane, right? And what does Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 say? We are to what? Fix our eyes on Jesus and run. Beloved, I'm exhorting you to run. Are you on a Christian stroll? Or are you running? Are you running? To win, are you exerting maximum effort to be the child of God that God ha that God has called you to be? Look at verse fourteen. I press on toward the goal of for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The hard pressed man presses on for what? For the prize. What's the prize? Someone tell me. What is the prize? God's the prize. Amen. Don't you love the way 
God said it to Abraham. And the King James, some of the translations differ. The King James is really, in my view, the best there. I, I love the King James there in Genesis 15.1. God says, I am your reward, Abraham. I am I'm your reward. I am your reward. And that's what I think Paul is talking about here. That's the prize he's talking about. God is his reward. We've said it a gazillion times in here. You get as much of God as you want. You know, if I'm a third part person, I just look at your life, right? I just I'm just an observer, and I can roll back the video for the last year, and I can just watch you for the last year. What would I determine? What conclusion would I come to? How much of God do you want? What would be what would be the conclusion? How much of God do you want? Beloved, it's true. You get as much of Him as you want. You get as much of Him as you want. And Paul says, I want all I can get. He says, I press on. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I can't get enough of Him. I'm so hopelessly in love with Him. Amen? I cannot get enough of Him. So God, uh, pardon me, Paul expends energy in cooperating with the Holy Spirit in His own sanctification. He fixes His eyes on Christ Jesus and He runs. He is a pilgrim progressing. We said it last week. Jesus is infinitely better than the next best thing. So we are hard-pressed and we press on. Verse 15 and 16, Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. I, I noticed when Greg read the text, I don't know what translation he was reading from, but his translation, translation used the word mature. And that's really what the, 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 the word here I read to you from the NAS let us therefore, as many as are perfect, it's not about being uh, uh, perfect as far as being sinless. It's talking about being a mature Christian. That is the point. To be mature. And Paul says, if any of you have a different attitude about this, if you're not really genuinely interested in pressing on in your sanctification, he says, I leave you with God. <laughs> this is what Paul says. I leave you with God. God knows how to get the attention of His wayward children. If you have left your first love, if your relationship with Christ Jesus has grown lukewarm, if you are no longer hot on the heels of Christ, the Lord knows how to discipline those whom He loves. He he. We are not illegitimate children, as the text says. So verse 16, in effect, Paul says, but for those of you who are already pressing on, he says, keep pressing on. He says, keep doing it. Never stop pressing on. God says it in Colossians 1.28. He calls us to be complete in Christ. Ephesians 4.13, to be mature in the fullness of Christ. 
Galatians 4.19, to have Christ fully formed in you. This is the continuous and perpetual exhortation of God. Grow up! Right? Grow up! And be a man of God. Be a woman of God. Live it like it's real. Live it like I'm God enough to honor in your life. Amen? No more small religion. Live it like it's real. You know, I've shared this quote with you several times. C.S. Lewis says, man, God hasn't called us to be boys and girls in saddles riding ponies. <laughs> he says, we are called to, to ride bareback those earth-shaking steeds from the king's stable. Real men and real women, right? With real faith in a real God making a real difference in the real world. That's what God's called us to. And I told you this last week, everything else, is, everything else comes way down here after that. Christ is first. And the call is first. Everything else is a small 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. God is challenging you and He's challenging me to be mature in Christ. No more dabbling with Christianity. No more splashing around in the shallows. But to swim in the deeps. To swim in the deeps with the Son of God. You remember Hebrews 5 and 6 where God rebukes the spiritually immature. He says, man, you are still babes drinking milk. What's up with that? Right? You're still babes drinking milk. I mean for you to grow up. Hebrews 6.1 God says, press on to maturity. And that's the challenge for us tonight. It's what hard-pressed men do. They press hard toward Spiritual maturity. They go with Jesus. They are pilgrims progressing. So, in summary, we are not navel gazers. Right? That gets old fast. If you've never tried it. We don't sit in a circle and sing Kumbaya. That's not what we do as Christians. We understand that we've not yet arrived. In fact, we've only just begun we understand that. We have miles to go. We're not bound up with the guilt of past sin, nor are we content with the, the past victories that we've had. We understand Jesus Christ is calling us to a greater obedience, a more radical obedience. He's never not perpetually calling us to a more radical obedience. The Holy Spirit is always calling us to a deeper place with Him. I'm just going to close with Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Hebrews 12.2. You guys, some of you are probably familiar with the message. It's, it's Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible. Listen to how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Hebrews um, 12.2. He says, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how He did it, because He never lost sight of where He was headed. And I love this part that exhilarating finish in and with God. Beloved, are you looking at the Bema seat? That exhilarating finish in and with God. Beloved, that's who we are. That's, that's who we're supposed to be. Hard-pressed men and women pressing on hard. Hard-pressed men and women pressing on to maturity in Christ. No more shallow 
Christianity. Deep. Profound. Life-altering. Hell-changing. Christianity. As you go out in the world and you share the Gospel in a mighty way and people observe your life. People observe your life. People are coming to Christ through your testimony, through your witness. Beloved, we're called to maturity. To press on. To be men and women. Men, full-grown men and women. Magnifying Christ in our life. This is, what, this is what I think the Lord is saying to us tonight. So I challenge you, press on. Press on with Christ. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank You for, as always, Your Word. Thank You for this exhortation. Sometimes it's easy to get comfortable in our Christian routine. But Father, clearly tonight You have called us out of that. You have called us out of the routine. You have called us to radical maturity, radical obedience. You have clearly called us to press on. To press on. And the prize... The prize is You. The prize is a deeper relationship with You. The prize is knowing You better. The prize is loving You more. Thank You, Father, for this great exhortation. Thank You how You refuse to let us become content with lesser things. You're always calling us to a deeper place. We praise You, Lord. We thank You for that. I pray that each one of us in this room would make a commitment right now that we would press on. That we would become full grown. Complete in Christ, as the text says. Fully mature in Christ. It's not just something we do on Sunday. It's our life to walk with Him and to know Him and to love Him and to worship Him and to obey Him. Help us, awesome God, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, Amen.